Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. All right, we are going to dive into Hebrews chapter 3, and we're actually going to take every overview slide this morning because we have a special guest back with us today, uh, none other than Kathy Law is back in the house. (laughs) Kathy, Doug, good to see you guys. I'm, you know I'm just kidding with you, Kathy. I have to call you out because you call us out all the time. <laughs> so, so we are going to go through this real quick, just the overview, a few slides. There's, there's a couple new things to pick up on, but you know, Hebrews, I don't remember if I have this in the overview slides or not, but Hebrews is a book written to the believer, and all through the book you see the words to the brethren, the brethren, the brothers, the sisters, we It's to Christians. It's a book on how to overcome, be an overcomer, not necessarily how to get saved. And so it's an incredible book written to once you're born again, what do you do with it? How do you go from there? And as we're going through the book, 1 John 2, 27 and 28, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear in the rapture to call you home, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And that's really what this book is all about, is the warning of if you get entangled in something and it starts to drift you away the entanglement can lead to you not having confidence of Jesus at his return to bring you home. So Hebrews is going to help us figure out how to cling to our faith and build up that faith and that strength in the word of God so that you can see Jesus and not be ashamed. That's part of the whole point. So this outline, we're finishing chapter three today, a deliverer better than Moses, and it really starts also with the second warning to the believers that will traverse the end of this chapter and the start of chapter four next week. Okay, these five warnings, the whole book is built on these five warnings and there are progression as you go through it. It starts out with the danger of drifting that started in chapter two. It moves now to the danger of hardening your heart starting at the end of chapter three. So you start, get the progression here, you start to drift away And then like Pharaoh, you start, your heart starts to become hardened because you've drifted away and you no longer are are believing and looking to the Lord for your provision, your sustenance, your strength, your defense, whatever it can be. And so you start to drift, your heart gets hard, then you fail to mature as a result of your heart hardening, then you start to commit willful sin sin you know you shouldn't be partaking in, but you just do it anyway because kind of like the Israelites asked, uh, where is God? Since the fathers fell asleep, all has stayed the same. So you start to believe that 
he's not going to act in the affairs of man, so you commit willful sin, and then you ultimately the danger of refusing. So it's this whole progression that leads to apostasy. And the New Testament, when you're sensitive to it, has a lot to say about the church in the end times and how it does end in apostasy. A vast majority of the church ends in apostasy. Just read Jude, look at uh, John's letters for 2nd, 3rd John, etc. That has a lot to say about apostasy in the church and the warning there. But Revelation gives that outcome in Revelation 3.16. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Lukewarm as in you're indifferent, you're refusing God. That, that final fifth warning, the danger of refusing. And so when you look at this, the warnings are in place because God is really longing for a deep relationship. He's raising a family. God's raising a family. And he wants to be first on the list of one, not first on a list of 28 other things. Give it all to him and look to him for everything. That's the key. So the book, again, it's built on these five warnings because a kingdom is at hand. Jesus is coming to set up a kingdom. And the question is, what will be your place as you enter into that kingdom? And that promise is all over the Bible. And again, it has nothing to do with your salvation, but everything to do with the kingdom. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 28. This is the, the purpose of it all. You could think about it like that. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet, but when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him, that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. That's the key. Jesus is going to work on this for a thousand years in building the kingdom. And at the end, when death is put under his feet, that's the key. That's what it's this whole journey, this whole saga is all about that point. And Jesus is pleading with us to stay steadfast from Revelation 3.11. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. No man can take it. You're a man. You can lose it, but you can't lose your salvation. That's, that's the point that Jesus is saying. So to start chapter 3, the Lord showed how Jesus was superior to Moses, and we went through that in a lot of detail on Satan and Michael fighting over the body of Moses all the way back in Deuteronomy when he died and God buried him at the foot of Mount Pisgah. And then there is this war of Michael and Satan, and Jude kind of gives that hint and uncovers why were they fighting about it. And it likely is tied to Moses being one of the two witnesses with Elijah in the book of Revelation in chapter 11. But for the rest of chapter 3, the Holy Spirit dives into this second warning, using the children of Israel in the wilderness as an example. So remember, they were a redeemed people saved by the blood of the Lamb. It was about 600,000 men of fighting age that were delivered out of Egypt. And the Lord counts that if you were 20 years old or above. He considered you fighting age, or think of it as the age of accountability at that point. 
Look at Exodus 12, verses 37 through 38. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men, beside children, and the mixed multitude went up also with them in flocks and herds, even very much cattle. So notice in Exodus 12, 37 and 38, it says about 600,000 men. Numbers chapter 1 gives you, verses 45 and 46 gives you the exact number. It's 600,000, 603,550. So it's 3550 above 600,000. So there's the exact number. Now you add on to that women and children, wives, kids, whatever, multiply it by three point whatever. It's probably close to two million people that God led out of Egypt. That's a lot of people. If you've ever been on a, any kind of a hiking trip with just two families with several kids and tried to, tried to walk a trail with maybe six or 18 children, then, yeah, <laughs> then you can understand how difficult that would be. Can you imagine two million people? That'd be like the entire Oklahoma City metropolitan area all at one time marching towards Amarillo or something. You know, just think about it. That would just be, that's a journey. And how many of the generation inherited and entered the promised land? Of all of those people, 600,000 that were of the age of accountability, only two went into the promised land, Caleb and Joshua. Of all of them, 500, or actually 603,548 of them failed, and two of them succeeded. So it's, it, was a, it was a long, tenuous journey of which only two of them were able to run to the end. And this is what the Holy Spirit builds this whole case on, that you've got to stay steadfast and run the race to the end. So we're going to start off and just read Hebrews 3, 7 through 11. It's a direct quote out of Psalms 95, 7 through 11. So pretty easy to remember. They both are verses 7 through 11. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest." That is a heavy statement by the Lord. To swear. Anytime you see in the Bible God swearing on himself, you've got to pay attention. So look in Psalms. Here's the, where the quote is from. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, here's where it starts. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me proved me and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, it is a people that do err in their heart and they have not known my ways unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. So there's the quote. So we go back to verse seven. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if ye will hear his voice, notice that in Psalms it says his voice. Here, the Holy Spirit is attributing the writing to himself, to the Holy Spirit. 
as the Holy Ghost saith. God is attributing the writing of the Psalms to the Holy Spirit, which is incredible. It's another testament from 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good work. It's good for four things, doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction. Remember, four is always the number of God when he constructs constructs something, it's always built up of something in fours, four sides to everything. So God's word has four sides to it. In Hebrews, we've seen references to the entire Trinity speak already. The father in the very first verse of the Bible, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in the past unto the fathers by the prophets. In chapter two, verse three, the son, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Remember, they're speaking of Jesus when he walked the earth the first time. And then here in chapter 3, verse 7, the Holy Spirit. So you have already in the book, we're three chapters into it, or two and a half really, and you've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity being attributed to here. In verse 8, Harden not your hearts as in the day, in the, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Okay, God is referencing a very special time of the wilderness wanderings, and we'll, we'll look at that. But the word provocation, it's an interesting word in the Greek. It's only used twice in the entire Greek New Testament, and both of them are here in Hebrews. Verse 8 here, and then later in verse 15. And the word means vexation baiting, incitement, or provoking. Okay, Deuteronomy 6, 15 through 16. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Massa. And then look at Numbers 14, 22 through 23. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these 10 times and have not hearkened to my voice. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. See, they, they kept tempting the Lord 10 times. They kept straying away, drifting, hardening their heart, refusing, committing willful sin, committing idolatry, chasing after the gods of the people they were destroying. These 10 events happened throughout the Old Testament. And then finally, the turning point was Kadesh Barnea, where they really just put the nail in the coffin, and God had enough. It was no more. So these 10 times, in verse 9, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. Okay, the word for tempted here in the Greek It literally means to try, make trial of, test for the purpose of ascertaining his quality or what he thinks or how he will behave himself. In a bad sense, it's to test one maliciously, craftily, to put to the proof his feelings or judgments. So you kind of get a whole different side of this. When you peel back the the word in the Greek, you get a little bit of a different angle. It wasn't like they tempted him as if, 
as if they were just wanting to commit willful sin. They tempted him in wanting to test God and to put him to the test to see, is he really going to do what he says he'll do? It's like when you test a, when you test a metal. So look at this next word, improved, proved me. It literally means to test, examine, prove, scrutinize to see whether a thing is genuine or not as used regarding metals. Think of like a litmus test. You know, is it an acid or a base? You're testing God. You're putting him to the test. You're regarding, you're trying to figure out, is it, is it plain brass or is it iron or is it, what is it? You're trying to test God to see what he's made of. And that is a bold thing to do by the children of Israel. You do not want to put God to the test and really try to figure out what he's made of because he'll respond and let you know exactly what he is and his character and what he's made of. And the children of Israel, they wanted to put God to the test to see how he would behave, to ascertain his quality, testing him in a malicious manner, and to then scrutinize him. And I don't think any of you in this room want to take that posture toward the Lord. That's a heavy, heavy posture to take towards God. If you really want to wake up and think, you know, think of a disobedient kid when you tell them not to do something and they really push the limits and they want to test you to see, are you going to follow through with what you said? You know, are you really going to ground me for a week? Or are you really going to do this? And they keep pushing those. That's exactly what the children of Israel were doing here. They were pushing the limits to see if God would do what he said he would do. So in verse 9, at the end of verse 9, look at 40 years and saw my works 40 years. Now, I've heard a lot of people talk on this, and there's a lot of confusion around, was it 40 years or 38 years? Because you find both time frames in the Bible for the wilderness wanderings. Some scriptures reference 40 years, some scriptures reference 38 years. And actually, when you look at it, one of my, one of my very favorite uh, Bible teachers, Chuck Missler, he used to say years ago before he died, he used to say, when you find a contradiction in the Bible, praise God, because that gives you a point to dive into because there is no contradiction in the Bible. You just have to figure out what is God really saying between something that looks like he's off one way or the other. What is he really saying? Remember, you can't add to or take away from his word. You've got to stay right in the middle of what God is saying. So look at Deuteronomy 2.14. And the space in which we came from Kadesh Barnea until we were come over the brook Zered was 30 and 8 years until all the generation of the men of war were wasted out from among the host as the Lord sware unto them. Okay, coming from Kadesh Barnea across the brook Zered was 38 years. Okay, but... God is saying in verse 9, they saw my works 40 years. So there's a two-year gap somewhere. So it appears when you really dig this out, and, and I looked at a lot of stuff this week, digging this out kind of verse by verse, and we could go off into literally hours of looking this up and chasing this down. The crux of the issue, I think, and this is totally Acts 17.11 applies 100%. You guys need to go seek this out and prove that this is so. But what it looks like is when the children of Israel left Goshen, which is in the northern part of Egypt, when the Passover hit, 
and they left Goshen after the first Passover, it was two years to the day until they camped at Kadesh Barnea. So I think when they left, it was two years was this journey through the wilderness, and they get to Kadesh Barnea, and they camp there what appears to be for 38 years. And then they finally cross the Jordan in the 41st year of their exodus from Egypt. So when you, when you look at that, the 38 is like a special subset of the 40. And so then it starts to really make sense when you consider all of that. Go to the next slide, Austin. So when you look at this map, I found this map pretty useful, actually, as I was digging into this this week, this exodus route. And I had never, I had never thought about it this way. So Goshen is in the north. It's the northern part of the map up there, the land of Goshen. If you follow that red line and you go down east of the Red Sea, you get to the very bottom of this peninsula down there. It looks to be that's where they crossed the Red Sea, and then they continued to the northeast to Mount Sinai, and then up through here, and then ultimately Kadesh Barnea is way up in the north. But I always pictured them crossing the Red Sea in Egypt for some reason. I never really considered it was in Saudi Arabia in that area, in this desert area. It kind of makes sense when you think about if they were blocked, blockaded in that peninsula, they really would have nowhere to run one way or the other. If they were along the border of Egypt, they could still retreat north or south. And, and that's always kind of puzzled me a little bit in the Bible when their backs are against the Red Sea and they have nowhere to go. Because when you look at it on the map with Egypt, they could go north or south still. Why were they saying they had nowhere to go? And so this kind of made sense to me. But again, it's not something to hang your hat on. I'm just saying it's interesting to think about the Egyptians following them through the wilderness, what we would call Saudi Arabia today, down to that peninsula. And that being where they crossed, still crossed the Red Sea. It's just not from Egypt. And then they traveled for two years to get to Kadesh Barnea and then cross the Jordan in the 41st year of their exodus to the day also. The day they left Goshen is the same. It's 40 years to the day that they crossed the Jordan, which is pretty cool. So think about that. Just dig into it. I'm not saying this is completely true. I'm still, frankly, I'm still searching this out myself and just trying to prove that Yes, this is really what the children of Israel did. I think it's fascinating to think about and to study from the Word of God and to really see where did they go and how did they get there. Because you can follow the Old Testament journeys through Deuteronomy, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Leviticus, the whole thing. And you can almost get a little lost sometimes in where they're going because the stories overlap. And then the, and then the Holy Spirit will go backwards and tell you something that happened at a different spot. And so to line all of that up and try to map out where they went, it's not, an easy, it's not an easy task. But this link to 38 years is important. God, God, Jesus hangs on to this link to 38 years as a generation. Look at John 5, 4. For an angel went down at a certain season in the, into the pool and troubled the water. Remember, there's this man that is ill. And every time an angel would come down and stir the waters, the first one to dip into it was completely healed. And remember, there's this man who has an infirmity for 38 years. Okay, look at this. And troubled the water, whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity 
30 and eight years. And when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, wilt thou be made whole? Now, why 38 years? Why didn't he have an infirmity for 37 or 39 or 38 and a half or 18? 38. And there's an infirmity. Jesus is telling this because he's pointing the children of Israel back to an infirmity they had for 38 years at Kadesh Barnea. And so he's trying to show them through this man's example in asking him, will thou be made whole? He's basically asking Israel, will you be made whole? And that same question God had for the Israelites, he has really for us today. The question that Jesus has for you in this walk from being born again on this journey is, will you be made whole? In other words, will you submit to me? Will you lay this down at my throne? Will you let me take this off of you? Will you let me guide you in this journey of life through the sanctification process? Will you be made whole? It's a really challenging question. And I think all of us would say, yes, absolutely, God, I want to be made whole. The challenge is truly submitting it and allowing him to make you whole. There's a huge challenge in that because the flesh sets in, sin sets in, pride sets in, the enemy will lie to you, you can't do that, just keep doing this, don't worry about giving that to the Lord, it's okay with this, he hasn't judged you yet, right, he hasn't wiped you out of the game, you can keep living this way, but that's the question, honestly, throughout the book of Hebrews, for us as we study this, is will you be made whole? Will you not drift? Will you not let your heart be hardened? Will you not refuse God ultimately? Okay, the same question God had for the Israelites and us for today, he uses this as a warning for the church in Luke 21 about Jerusalem being destroyed. It did not perish after 38 years. So look at Luke 21. These Christians listened to him, and they didn't perish after 38 years. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. In Luke 21, Jesus has a discourse that is not the Olivet Discourse. It's a different discourse. It's to the believers, the church, and he's telling them, these Christians that come to know him, that when you see Jerusalem compassed about by armies, get out, leave town. And he has a lot of the same edicts as Matthew 24. And actually, I wrote a whole article on this a couple months ago in a magazine. I'll, I'll bring a copy next week and lay out here if anybody wants to read it. But when you look at Matthew 24 and Luke 21, they're different times, different places to different people. And they have the same grouping of signs from Revelation 6, wars, famines, pestilence, etc. They have these same signs, false Christ. Matthew 24, Jesus says, it's to the Jews that come to know him after the church is gone. And he says, after all these things, do this, 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 and this. And he gives all these instructions to the Jews. Pray that your flight be not in winter. Listen to me, get out of Jerusalem. When you see the Antichrist enter the temple, don't come home, get out. He's giving these specific instructions. In Luke 21, it's the same list of signs, but he says, before all these things. So he's giving instructions to a different group of people that are in Jerusalem before these signs start to unfold. And what happened was, that was in 32 AD, 
38 years later, the same time as one generation in the wilderness, Jerusalem is surrounded by the Romans and they destroy Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD. Titus walks in and actually just destroys the whole thing. They've never had a temple since. But the Christians that listened to Jesus's instructions got out and there are some records that indicate over a million believers were saved because they listened to what Jesus said from Luke 21. So it's really important that you rightly divide the word of truth and that you can't assume when Jesus is saying something that just because there's a phrase that's the same, oh, it's the same thing. He's just repeating it again. The key and the treasure is to dig in and to bring out all these treasures out of the word of God that he's placed there because that is when you really get to know how precise our creator is. So if you've never studied that, look into that this week. And I'll bring that article I wrote last week and put it out there in the, in the foyer. In verse 10, Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways. God's ways were commanded in Deuteronomy to these people and to us today. Look at eight times in Deuteronomy, the exact phrase, his ways is used, and each one refers to the ways of the Lord. It's amazing that God put that in Deuteronomy 8, being the number of new beginnings, because had these people listened to his ways, they would have had a new beginning, but they refused. And the question is for all of you is, do you know his ways? Are you in his word so you can know his ways? That's the challenge. Look at one of the the warnings about his ways. It comes with a reward tied to it in Deuteronomy 19, 19. If thou shalt keep all these commandments to do them, which I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God and to walk ever in his ways. There's the phrase, his ways. Then shalt thou and add three cities more for thee beside these three. God was tying, if you'll listen to me, I'm going to give you extra cities. As you go to inherit, I've got extra promises for you if you'll just listen and obey my ways. The eight times in Deuteronomy, it's chapter 8, verse 6, 10, verse 12, 11, verse 22, 19, verse 19, 26, 17, 28, 9, 30, 16, and 32, verse 4. So you can track those down. It's pretty, pretty amazing when you look in Deuteronomy at all the times God warns them, follow me and listen to my ways or else. In verse 11, so I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. So after, think about this, after everything God did for the children of Israel, all of the signs, the wonders, fighting for them in Egypt, the 10 plagues, delivering them with the Passover lamb, leading them out of Egypt, parting the Red Sea by the Holy Spirit, that east wind, letting the water stand up, walking across dry land, all of this deliverance, all this provision, they still, after all of that, rejected him. Is that not unbelievable? I know, I know a lot of you are thinking, I would never do that. You do every day. <laughs> and I do every day. We all do every day. We all, we all struggle with really giving it all to him. And if you can just flip that switch in terms of just trusting him and laying it at his feet, I promise you he will show up in a big way 
and your life will never be the same. And Chris talked about that still small voice this morning. I think one of the things I asked you guys to do last week was if you're, if you are holding on to anything, go home and pray about it and ask God what it is. And it may not be this giant flashing billboard. It may be that still small voice that just whispers to you in the night season that wakes you up and you're wide awake at 2 a.m. and you have no idea why, but it's God saying, hey, I want to talk to you for a little bit. Just get up and come meet me. There was one time when we were living in Kansas City that I'll never forget. God woke me up in the middle of the night and told me to come downstairs and sit with him for a little bit, and I fell back asleep. And the next morning, I woke up, and I felt horrible. I mean, I felt like I had just betrayed my best friend. And it it took me several weeks of asking him for forgiveness that he finally ended up telling me what he was going to tell me. But it just, I would encourage you all, listen the first time. When God has something for you, listen the first time. So we're going to learn a lot about God's rest starting actually next week in chapter 4. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 9. Ye have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. That is not a statement that you want God to say of you. That, you, that ever since he's known you, ever since you've been saved, you've been nothing but rebellious. So crossing the Jordan, think about this, it does not represent entering heaven. They still had wars. They still were fighting for their land. They were trying to expand territory. They still, sin was still present in the promised land. That's, it's not an analogy of entering into heaven where none of that will be happening. It's something different. It's entering a place of God's rest in this life where you have truly submitted it to him and you're letting the king fight your wars, lead you through the wilderness, show you which path to take. That's, this is the rest God is talking about here. And we're going to study that a lot next week to start chapter 4 about this rest, but they had a king that started fighting for them at Jericho, the first war across the Jordan. It was Jesus from Joshua 5. He was leading them, and they ultimately led astray, and they were looking around at the other cities around them going, hey, they have earthly kings. We want one of those just like our enemies have, and so God kept telling them, you don't want that, and they kept saying, yes, we do, And finally, Samuel, the prophet, anointed Saul, and you all know how that went ever since then. It was just nothing but downhill. So they were not resting in Jesus and letting him lead. And that's that's the key issue. So verse 12, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So disbelief in the living God after you're saved is sin. That's what God is saying here. Let there not be in you an evil heart of disbelief or unbelief in departing from the living God. Look at Deuteronomy 9, 6. Understand, therefore, that the Lord thy God giveth thee not this good land to possess it for thy righteousness, for thou art a stiff-necked people. Remember and forget not how thou provest the Lord thy God to wrath in the wilderness, from the day that thou didst depart out of the land of Egypt until you came into this place, ye have been rebellious against the Lord. I love how God reminds them constantly, I'm giving you this land, but it's not because you're so righteous. It's because my name's on it. My name is on the deal. 
I promised this land all the way back to Abraham, and I have to fulfill my promise. It was unconditional. It didn't depend on whether you behaved or not. I have to give Israel this land, but I'm not doing it because of your righteousness. It's a pretty stern word from the Lord. The Greek word for departing, it means to stand off, to stand aloof, to go away, to depart from anyone, to desert, withdraw from one, to fall away, or become faithless. Okay, to become faithless. So there is a departing, a different departing that's yet future that the Lord has planned in 2 Thessalonians 2.3. Let no man deceive you by any means for that day, speaking of the day of the Lord, shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now we covered that a lot when we were going through Revelation verse by verse, but the departure and in a lot of, in a lot of ancient manuscripts, that word, the falling away, is the departure. And it's speaking of, when you really unpack this in the Greek, speaking of the church departing as in the rapture and leaving, then the Antichrist can be revealed. And when the church leaves in the rapture, it's a dual-edged sword because there is also a massive apostasy again against the Lord because the whole world's going to worship this false Christ and as you continue to study Second Thessalonians, you could get into the restrainer, that then the son of perdition will be reviewed, the res, um, revealed. The restraining Holy Spirit is that restrainer. It's the force that lives and dwells inside of each one of us if you are born again. That is the restraining Holy Spirit that is pushing back against the rise of the beast system. God cannot allow it to happen as long as his church is here which is why the last two years there's been so much tension with the rise, the, the globalists trying to get a one world system in place, and there's all this tension of it not coming to fruition because the church is still here. They're trying to capture the church into that time period, and God's not going to allow Satan to do that. But in verse 13, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So the Holy Spirit, I want you to notice, is calling for action today. Just like at the beginning in verse 7, he called for, listen, today, today. And the Greek word for exhort, it literally means to counsel, to encourage, and strengthen by consolation, to comfort, to receive consolation, to be comforted, to encourage, or to strengthen. And the Lord just showed me a lot of things during worship this morning, but I was, I was standing in the back really just praying all of you and praying over worship and Chris and Mason and Kelly. And the Lord really showed me one of the strengths in what he's doing in New City is knitting these families together, not just on Sunday, but it's a Monday through Saturday thing where you can exhort one another. You can counsel, counsel each other that you can be there in the dark times, that you can go and lay hands on each other and pray for one another, that when someone has a need, there's an army of believers around them, that there's no need too large that this group can't meet through the power of God. And the Holy Spirit, I'm just telling all of you, I cannot say this enough, the Holy Spirit is leading people here that he wants and knows they're ready for this kind of relationship with him and with one another, frankly. 
It's hard going through life without Christian friends. When you have a mindset of serving Jesus every day and you're surrounded by people that want nothing to do with that mindset, it is tough. It's a hard road to continue to kind of push that plow forward and everyone's like holding onto your ankles, dragging you backwards and wanting to suck you into something or deny what you're doing or question what you're doing. It's, it's not an easy way to go through life and to go through a walk with the Lord, which is one of the things I absolutely love and just praise God for weekly is every one of you and this family that he's knitting together to really go and fight this fight for him in our community and for our kids, for our, the leaders that we elect in this community, our schools. It is, the church is going to rise up exactly how Jesus intended all along, and I'm excited about it. But there is a warning here that you can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So sins, one of sin's characteristics is it lies. Who was Satan? He was a fa- the father of lies. He was a liar since the beginning. And so, of course, sin has his characteristic on it. It lies to you. Sin totally lies constantly. That it just will chirp in your ear forever. And I would encourage you, if Satan is chirping in your ear of anything in your life or trying to draw you backwards, speak out loud. You have no voice here. The name of Jesus is present here. Your, your tongue is going to confess the name of Jesus. Your knee is going to bow at his name. And I do not have to listen to you. My mind has been renewed and transformed. You have no place or authority here. Get out of my household. And just and say that out loud. I would encourage all of you, because Satan can plant thoughts, but he can't hear your thoughts. And so think about that, that he's not going to hear in your mind when you say, okay, get out of here. You know, and then he's still here, and you're like, why aren't you leaving? Well, it's say it. Use your tongue. Say it out loud. So, John 14, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. That's why the world is so against you. And remember what Jesus said, they will hate you because of me. They don't hate you because of who you are. They hate you because of who he is. And when you have that perspective, it does help when, when you endure persecution because you can just hold on to that promise that, okay, they don't hate me because I'm Matt Freeman. They hate me because I'm serving Jesus Christ. They really hate him. They don't hate me. And the same goes true for each one of you. They don't hate you. They hate him. And so just keep that promise in heart. Because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Praise God. So you have a comforter to exhort you daily, above and beyond one another. It's the Holy Spirit. He exhorts you daily. Jesus prays for you daily. We're going to see that later in the book of Hebrews. As our high priest, he prays and is an intercessor for you daily. In verse 14, for we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. So this phrase, we are made, 
It is not you are created, okay? You're not created as an overcomer or a partaker. You're born again, and then you get the opportunity to rise to become an overcomer based on your walk with the Lord. So that phrase in the Greek, it means to arise, appear in history. That's kind of a cool statement. Or come upon the stage. So once you're born again, then you have the opportunity to arise and come upon the stage as an overcomer, a partaker with Christ. But what must you hold steadfast unto the end? The beginning of our confidence. So the confidence you had in the beginning that Jesus is everything and will pay all of it Hold that to the end because he'll take care of everything else and you, you too can become an overcomer. In verse 15, while it is said, today if you will hear his voice, there's that, that word again, today, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. So the penalty for hardening your heart can be seen, really think about it, as a 40-year hiatus spiritually. You can wander around in Rome for decades as a born-again believer, not walking in the, in the authority of Jesus. That's, there's a lot of people roaming right now that are questioning and living in this gray area of, I'm a believer, but I think whatever, you fill in the blank, is okay. And they're roaming. They're, they're searching desperately for someone to come alongside them and put their arm around them and show them the truth out of God's word. And I, if you know anybody in that situation, listen to the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is prompting you to say something to them, don't hold back. So 40-year hi- hiatus. The spiritual immaturity was capped by the bad report of the spies who entered the promised land. So all of you rem- remember this event, right? They're up against close to the Jordan Moses sends the 12 spies into the promised land. They come back with what? A bad report. A word from the enemy. We can't take it. There are giants in the land. They're too big. There's no way we can go conquer this. They weren't listening to God's command. They were listening to the enemy's lie. God didn't even tell them it'll be a struggle. He just said, I've given it to you. Go take it. And he never told them to go spy out the land. That's an important point for all of you to keep at heart. God never told them to send spies into the promised land. He said, go take it. And if you compare Deuteronomy 1, 21 through 23, verses Numbers 13, you'll see that difference. God allows them to. But when you go back to Deuteronomy, in Numbers 13, God allows them to. When you go back to Deuteronomy it's very clear that he, it was not his idea. It was their idea. And what did that lead to? It's kind of like, you know, you can, you can almost paralyze yourself when God asks you to go do something and you want to look ahead at what that looks like. You really can sit almost paralyzed in terms of, gosh, I don't know, how will, how will, what will people think of us? You know, if we do that, if we start a medical clinic and, you know, do whatever, just think about, if you look too far ahead, the enemy will lie to you that you can't do this. And that's exactly what he did to the children of Israel. They wanted to go look ahead at what does this really look like, God? And they go in the land, and there are giants there that they think there's no way they can beat them. And they weren't relying that it was Jesus drawing the sword that was going to go fight for them. 
And had they just gone, it would have been a whole different outcome. So in verse 16, for some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. So again, remember of that entire generation out of Egypt, only two did not provoke God, and that was Joshua and Caleb. And you want to try to finish your walk like Caleb and Joshua. God said we'll do it. We can go do it. We will march in. I love Caleb's response of, who are they? You know, who are we to say that we can't beat them? God is telling us we can go slaughter these giants, and we're all sitting back here whining and complaining. You guys need to buckle up and let's go. He was a warrior, man. It was awesome. So their sin was forgiven, but it had real physical consequences. So when you look at Numbers 14, pardon I beseech thee, this is Moses speaking, the iniquity of this people according unto the greatness of thy mercy, and as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word, but as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. That's an incredible promise, too, that we're all still waiting to be fulfilled. It will be in the millennium, but the glory of the Lord to fill the entire earth. So Moses goes on on behalf of the Israelites to pardon their iniquity as an intercessor. That's what Jesus is doing as a type for us. Okay, the last couple of verses here. But with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to, the, to them that believed not? So the end of verse 18, that believed not in the Greek, it means not to allow oneself to be persuaded to refuse or withhold belief, to refuse belief and obedience or not to comply with. So when walking with the Lord, this causes a loss of inheritance and rewards. If you choose not to believe him, there is a penalty for that. Now, it's a different penalty than if you choose not to believe in him to get saved. That penalty is in John 3.36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So if you believe, you should obey. That's that's the key. Okay, the last verse of Hebrews 3. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So their rest and inheritance in this life and the next was contingent upon their belief and obedience. That's why the Holy Spirit's using this whole generation of the Israelites as as an abject lesson for us today. They were never allowed to return to bondage in Egypt. Keep that in mind. Despite them asking, Moses, why did you bring us out here just to kill us? We had all this sustenance in Egypt, leeks and water and cakes and blah, blah, blah. Can we go back? And the Lord always said, no, you can't go. You cannot return to bondage. Okay, you cannot return to slavery. You're now in a place where you choose to either follow me or not. Back then, you didn't have a choice. You were enchained to sin before you're born again. So they couldn't lose their salvation, but as a result of their disbelief and disobedience, they were constantly in turmoil, and they never landed fully where God intended. Think about that. God has a place for you to land ultimately under and into his rest. And all of us are on a journey. 
And you've got to ask him if there is disobedience anywhere in your life, sin or unbelief, that needs to be uprooted and cast out so that you can ultimately land where God wants you. He has a call on your life. If you are born again, you need to ask the Lord, why? What did you have for me? What am I to do now? He has a mission for you. I promise if you've never asked him, ask him. He has a mission for your life. It may be a ministry somewhere. It may be a ministry in your place of employment. It may be to get someone in your family saved. It may be to start a a new private school. I don't know. It could be, who knows what it is, but private schools are in demand right now, by the way. Um, We've often thought about starting a new city school and called, and John Eric wants to call them the fighting Esters, but, but it was a, it was a horrible mascot. Nobody, it just didn't really get much traction (laughs) back in the day. Um, You just need to work on your, your jokes a little bit, J.E. I know. Well, we all attribute it to you. So, (laughs) yes, the archangels, the fighting Esters, we do need a private school, so maybe that'll come out of this church at some point. We've got enough kids we could fill it right now, I think. But the challenge is for all of you to search your life, really, and ask God, what is it that he wants you to do? You have a call, and the greatest joy you will ever walk in in your life is when you enter that call, whatever it is. Whatever that purpose is, when you enter into it, you will have contentment and joy that surpasses all understanding, and you will stop searching and grasping at the world trying to figure out, what am I going to do with my life? Because you will have fulfillment that only comes from serving the King of Kings, and when you can do that, you will be absolutely on fire. So the call to action what I love to, to end all of these messages with. God showed me this this week from 1 Samuel 2, 6 through 9. He wants to set you among princes to inherit the throne of glory. Think about the goodness that is at the end of this walk with him. And when you, when you think about that, again, my whole life growing up in church, there is not one time I heard anyone from the pulpit talk about inheritance and rewards for serving him. And when you really break this down and you study 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15, and the judgment seat, and everything done in the flesh is wood, hay, stubble. Everything done in the spirit is gold, silver, precious stones. And that which remains at the judgment by fire, you get as a reward and a crown. And there's these five crowns listed in the Bible, and they're all tied to something You know, a lot of people, I remember a lot of my friends that were believers growing up, I know for a fact a lot of them left the faith because they had no idea what they were walking for. They had no clue about a promise of a kingdom that Jesus was setting up and that they would have a part in. They just thought, well, I'm saved. I got my ticket punched. Time to go to Vegas. And that's how a lot of them lived. And 1 Samuel 2, 6, look at this. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. 
For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he hath set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength shall no man prevail. It's not by your strength that you're going to end this race victorious. It's by his strength. And all through the Old Testament, look at the great men of God that blew it at the end of their lives. Moses, Samuel, not Samuel, I'm sorry, uh, Solomon, David. Just you go down that list. The very few of them finished strong. A lot of them blew it at the end. And that's why it's important you can't finish strong if you're not building your faith. And what is it? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The substance of all that we hope for is Jesus. He is the substance of all of it, despite you not seeing him physically right now. It's important because of Hebrews 11, 6, faith, for without faith, it's impossible to please him. You cannot run the race strong and finish and please God without faith. So how do you get it? Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That's the only way to build your faith. You don't have to guess at what it is. You don't have to guess at how to get it. And you don't have to guess at how to utilize it. Just go get it. The Holy Spirit then tells you what to do with it. So don't be negligent. Run that you may obtain in 1 Corinthians 9. And if you're watching this online and you need to get born again, it's really simple. Romans 10, 9. Austin, go two more slides up. Or one more. Romans 10, 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. If there is anyone here, the youth, anyone, if any of your kids, if any of you are here, if you need prayer, if you, if you need to get born again, that's the first step. And then after that, you can get on this race. And if you're watching this online, it's simple. Get in your bedroom and kneel down and cry out to the Lord to take everything off of you and to give you a new life and to be born again in the spirit so that you can become a son of God. That's the key. Right now, you're a son of Adam. You must become a son of God and get born again to have everlasting life. And then everything you've ever done can be turned from crimson to white as wool from Isaiah 118. So with that, I'm going to close us in prayer. If you, if you need anything, if you need prayer requests, I think our email address is on the next slide. Feel free to send us a note. And Austin, can you go to the next one real quick? And if you, need, if you have a need, physical need, if you need prayer, if you, have, if you know of a family in need, if you know of a ministry we can support, anything, reach out to us. Send us a note. I met an amazing group of uh, people yesterday, or I'm sorry, on Friday, that run a, an inner city schools ministry called Youth for Christ and got to just visit with them for a long time. What a great group of people that have a huge heart in taking Jesus to the inner city and in these schools and these youths. And a lot of them, a lot of these schools are hesitant to let them in. And they told me a story about one of the schools, it took them four years to finally have that school open the door and to let them in. And it took the moms and grandmas filling the parking lot and holding prayer visuals for months before that stronghold was torn down and these, these people got to go in and minister to children in the inner city that really don't have much 
but they, want to, they need and want to know Jesus who can supply everything to them. It's just an, an amazing ministry. So if you have anything that God has placed on your heart, there is no need too big, I promise you. So if you, if you have it, reach out to me, send us an email, come grab me after church, something. If any of you need prayer, stay and pray. Come up here, kneel on the altar, pray before God and leave it here. If you're carrying anything in your life that you need to lay down to him, just leave it here this morning. So Lord, we just thank you so much for this time. God, we thank you for the book of Hebrews. God, I thank you that Romans 15, four, that all of these things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. God, that we, through the scriptures, the patience and the hope of the scriptures can walk this walk with you and continue on this journey, holding steadfast your promises to not drift away and not to allow our heart to be hardened. So Spirit, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you fill this place, that your glory fill this place, that God, you be with every family as they go home today to let them celebrate you and their children, their relationship. God, continue to work miracles and marriages in kids' lives, in the lives of our children in schools, in the lives of these parents as they unite under one accord for your name and your word, Most High. We thank you. Be with us all as we leave this place. And Lord, if there is anybody within the sound of, of your voice today, let them kneel in their bedroom and give their lives to you if they have not done it yet. God, before that door on the ark closes, before you meet us in the air and call us home, or if there is anybody watching this that has not submitted their lives to you, let it be today and no longer that they, their name gets traced over in the Lamb's book of life by your blood, Jesus. We thank you for it. What an amazing king we serve, Lord. And Jesus, we thank you. And we pray all of these things according to your name. Amen.